0: If you have your Bible, uh, flip to like eight different places, because that's where we'll be today, but mostly in Exodus, starting in chapter 2. Everything that we have uh, that we'll look at will be on the screen, so um, don't sweat it if you're not Bible drill nimble. Um, And also, if you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back, uh, uh, paperback ESV stuff. Feel free to, if you don't have one... uh, like at home or you don't have one at all, or you don't have any ESV version to take that home with you as a, a gift from us to you um, i I, do, I really want to say before I get into the the message um, that that song in particular brings my mind to to where I want to take us, where I want to conclude with us today um, and that we've been talking about obedience we've been talking about. Obedience and and how hard it is, or when, when obedience is hard, is the a, is a title of the, the series. But I, I want to put this in front of us. So many times we, when we think of obedience, especially in a, a religious setting, we think we want to obey for obedience' sake. But I want to say before we get into this message, before we we dig into what God has for us through the life of Moses this morning, is that the point of obedience is a beautiful, abiding, communing relationship with Christ. Obedience is not for the sake of, of pleasing God. Obedience is not for the, the sake of, of just obeying yourself. Uh, my wife walked in this morning, just my, my youngest daughter, Mia, I, I guess has just been crazy this morning at home and not being good, not obeying, and, and it's brought frustration. And so many times in the midst of, of frustrating people with our disobedience or being frustrated ourselves with our disobedience or obedience and all that stuff, we get lost in this need to obey. But before we we walk into looking at Moses' obedience and his disobedience and what that means to us, now we can apply that stuff, I want to put this big huge banner over us and say we obey. God has given us these things to obey because it's the path It's the vehicle that he has chosen to give us to communing relationship with him. And we were created for the purpose of being in deep communing, abiding relationship with God and deep communing, abiding relationship with each other. And these things that he has given to us to obey are the vehicle for us to get there. So many times we see God as this huge power trip, this celestial father that wants to smite us if we do wrong or wants to give us stuff if we do right but ultimately god is giving us scripture and giving us redemption and giving us the life of christ so that we can have this beautiful abiding deep communing relationship with him and that's the the point of obedience and uh We'll kind of conclude there, but I want to lay that in front of us. That's where we're going. We all got in our vehicles today. We all got in a, a car, an SUV, a van, or something to drive here this morning. The vehicle that brought us to this destination is whatever car you drove. The vehicle that's going to get us to this abiding relationship with God is obedience. And it's a, it's a big deal. Uh, you've heard Dave and I talk uh, throughout this series and, and even before the series that all of the Old Testament is a big, giant arrow pointing towards Christ. And never is it more appropriate to make that statement than when we talk about Moses. And we're going to talk about Moses and his obedience and his disobedience today. And when, when I say that, when I say Moses is an arrow pointing to Christ, I mean that Moses is a flawed image of Christ himself. Say that again. Moses is a flawed image of of Christ himself. It's a foreshadowing. And that's when we say an arrow for the stories and the characters in the Old Testament, that's what we mean. These are are flawed images of a coming Christ. Moses does on a small scale what Christ did on a large scale. Moses did on a temporary scale what Christ did on an eternal scale. That's how Moses is this image of uh, a flawed image of Christ. Um, I heard a guy, I don't know where I heard it, but I wrote it down. Uh, He said three things about Moses, that Jesus is the true and better Moses who would lead his people out of slavery. When I say that he's a flawed image of Christ, that's what I'm talking about. Jesus, Moses led God's people out of slavery. They were under slavery, under uh, the Pharaoh in Egypt, and they were slaves to Egypt. Moses led his people out of slavery. Christ would come later and... Eternally lead his people out of slavery. And the bondage that that we were under uh, is the bondage of sin. These people are are being made to to build, to make bricks and then use those bricks to make buildings. And that's what the Egyptian or the, the Jewish slaves were under Egypt. Us, we were slaves to sin. Jesus is the true and better Moses who would lead his people ultimately out of slavery. Next, Jesus is the true and better Moses who would create a way to save his people from sure death. Not only would he walk them out of the, the Egypt, but also when he went into the, the desert. They were in the desert for 40 years and wandering around trying to figure out what to do. God used Moses to bring manna to feed these people. He would save them from sure death. Jesus is a true and better Moses who would save his people from sure death. And then lastly, Jesus is a true and better Moses who would fully trust God and enter into the promised land. If you know the story of Moses, and we'll get to it at the end this morning, Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land because he didn't fully surrender, didn't fully trust God. Jesus is the true and better Moses, so that in the midst of of the most trying, difficult season in his life, in the garden, right before he had to go give his life away to die and resurrect, Jesus believed and fully trusted god and as a result he entered into the joy of his master he got he got to enter into the promised land so all these things are i, I want to lay before us as big giant arrows pointing to christ so as we walk through this morning don't just think that the point of all this is is beautiful in abiding communion relationship with god but it, it's also for us to think through and point to christ as the true and better moses so if you have your Bible, open up to, to Exodus chapter 2, uh, and we're going to look at, it, at a couple of different things. I want to make three points this morning about obedience and what we can apply about obedience to our lives from the life of Moses. First, uh, in Exodus 2, the fir- uh, uh, verses 11 and 12, it says, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And he looked... This way and that, seeing that no one, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. What just happened here is Moses just killed somebody because he was beating up one of his countrymen. Mo- Jew- G- Moses was a Hebrew, he was a Jewish guy, and so when he sees an Egyptian guy, somebody that's not his person, hurting somebody that is his person, he gets angry, he bows up, and he kills him. Moses writes, like, a good majority of the Old Testament. I want to say this fact for us this morning. By the way, I just before I get to that fact, we are disobedient people. We have been disobedient this morning. We've been disobedient last night. We are filled with disobedience. But one of the beautiful things that we can take from the life of Moses is the first point. God uses people with disobedience in their past. I want, that's a Nothing earth-shattering there. God uses people with disobedience in their past. Not like something you need to, like, tweet right now. Oh, my gosh, I just heard this great news. God uses people with disobedience in their past. You don't, you don't need to, like, you know, pull out your iPhone and, and send that to everybody you know. I just guess great truth about who God is. You can do it if you want, but probably everybody knows. But I, I want, I don't want our our intimate knowledge of that to, yeah, you're right. God uses people with disobedience. I don't want that to, to be the thing that we think. We, we, God uses people with disobedience in their past. God uses people with disobedience in their past. God wants to use you. And again, the point of using you is not so that God can accomplish something, the point of of you going on mission and doing what God has called you to and, and leaving aside your disobedience and, and walking in obedience is, is not so that God can save North County or God can grow this church. It's, the point of it is to bring you into beautiful, deep, intimate relationship with him. Think back to those moments as you were singing that song, and if you were like me, the, the last song, Oh How He Loves Us, and the, the I was weeping back there, and it was beautiful, and I, I, he is jealous for me. He wants deep, perfect, abiding relationship with me. And the beauty that, that is in that moment is the beauty that God wants to give us 24-7. That's the kingdom of God. That's what we will experience in heaven one day. God uses people with disobedience in their past. It's not about what he wants to accomplish through you. It's what he wants to do to you, to bring you into that beautiful place of communing, abiding relationship with him. So this is the path for us to take. God designed us to be in relationship with him, and then sin messed it up. Okay, now here is the way to get back to that point. Here is the way for us to to feel the the depth of the beauty of those fleeting moments when we sing songs of worship to God, or or when we, we We engage love in this world or we engage depth of relationship. The the beauty that's in those moments is the beauty that God wants us to to experience and taste all the time. And here's the path. One, God uses people with disobedience in the past. So many times we block ourselves from future obedience based on past disobedience. Say that again. So many times we block ourselves from future obedience because of past disobedience disobedience. Oh man, I really screwed up in this situation. I, I, I did something I wish that I hadn't done, so it's just going to make it really hard for me to obey the next time I'm in that situation. Forget about it. And we wind up spiraling and, and separating ourselves from Christ, and we wind up moving away from God instead of moving towards God. Obedience is harder after failure. Obedience is harder after failure, and that's why it's so important for us to, to remember this Silly truth that we all know, but we need to preach to ourselves all the time that God uses people with disobedience in their past because obedience is harder after failure. Uh, even in the, the midst of, of running f- from his past, Moses, after he kills this guy, runs into the desert to, because he's scared that he's going to get fo- found out or going to get caught, and so he runs away. He, he gets out of there, and even in the midst of, of running from... God, in the midst of his disobedience, God finds him there. God pursues him there. And in, you guys know the story. He's in the desert. He's been wandering around. He, he doesn't know what to do. He can't go back to Egypt because of the, his, the murder that he, that he did. And what does God do for him there? He, God gives him his wife. He's running from God because of disobedience. And in the midst of that, God gives him his wife. God gives him a child and God gives him a mentor, and his mentor was his father-in-law. That's who he met to begin with. And, and, and he gave him all those things in the midst of running from God in, his, in the midst of his disobedience. So understand that as we wrestle with this idea of, of obedience and walking in obedience and past disobedience, that even in the midst of, of your disobedience, God is still bringing you and God is still pursuing you in a, in a real, in a deep way. But Moses didn't always live in disobedience. He was obedient most of his life. Uh, consider the things that Moses trusted God for. Flip over in Exodus to, to uh, chapter 7, a few chapters over. And as you, as you walk there, uh, consider what Moses trusted God for. He trusted God to go to Pharaoh. God said, I want you to go to Pharaoh and proclaim these awful things. Awful things upon him, uh, verse twenty in chapter seven. And um, before we read this, he's getting ready to to to, set, to tell the Pharaoh that there are these great plagues that are coming. And and here's I love that our kids are right inside that room being taught about Moses' life. I love that a couple of weeks ago they were back there being taught about Noah's life. But a lot of times, the Old Testament stories are are cute, and we try to make stuff out of pipe cleaners to make them pretty and fun. But ultimately, Noah's life, every human being on the face of the earth, with the exception of Noah's family, drowned. Died an awful, grotesque, nasty death. And then we look at the life of Moses and we see him with his Ten Commandments and we see him in the desert and we see him eating this, this stuff that we don't really know, something like bread, they call it manna. We don't, And, and we, we think about these things and, and we go back to our youth and when we went to Sunday school and we heard these great, pretty stories. But I don't want you to to see that Sunday school pipe cleaner Moses. I want you to see Moses having to go into the most powerful man on the planet and say to him, God's going to kill a bunch of people. And it's because you are disobedient, because you are oppressing God's people. That's what's happening here. Never before has anybody in this room had to do something as difficult as what Moses is getting ready to do here in in verse 7, or in chapter 7 of Exodus. I want us to see that. And Moses has has killed somebody, he's ran from God, and now God has grabbed him and said, you are going to lead my people out of Egypt, and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to have you go to Pharaoh and tell him all these awful, awful things. Verse 20 of chapter 7. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. That's another way to say obedience. Moses and Aaron were obedient. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile. This is, he said, I'm going to make the Nile turn from water to blood. And so Moses lifted up, in the presence of, of Pharaoh and his servants, he lifted up his staff and struck the water in the nail, Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned to blood. That's the, the, the sweet little story. Maybe you even had a, a, a bowl of water, and somebody poured red food coloring in it, and it became red, and we've talked about how the Nile was turned to blood, and we dishonored What's happening here? Verse 21. And all the fish in the Nile died. And the Nile stank. I think it's funny they just said stank in the Bible. (laughs) Dude, you stank. I just think that's funny. So the fish are dead, and the Nile stank. So the Egyptians could not drink the water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. The Nile is a massive river, and it is the sustaining thing of life for these people. And now it's made of blood and all the fish that's there. So many people depend upon the fish that are in this this river to survive. I fish, I sell the fish, my family lives. They don't, I can't fish, my family can't live, we can't survive. We can't eat, we can't drink, we can't feed our livestock. We get water out of the Nile, and the Nile has these tributaries, and we use that water to survive. We drink that water. We give that water to our livestock. All these things are gone now because of what Moses just did. And Pharaoh is a wicked guy who, who worships other gods, and he probably is thinking, Moses, you're telling me that your God's going to do this, but it's, I don't believe that you have a God. I believe you're probably praying to, to the Nile River God, and somehow, shh. She is, is the one who, who's doing all this. And so what, what Moses is doing is placing himself in harm's way for the most powerful man on the planet in the name of obedience. God tells him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to the most powerful man on the planet. He's not going to understand what you're doing. He's going to blame you for this. And Moses is probably thinking, wait a second. He's, he could kill me right there on the spot. Because ultimately what Moses did was kill a bunch of Egyptians and make them live in hard strife. Think about whatever it is that God is trying to call you to obedience. It's not as difficult as what Moses just did. And Moses, Moses does this ten times. Ten different plagues he goes in front of the Pharaoh and speaks to him. Hail, frogs, gnats, death to livestock, locusts, and darkness. And then the worst, the very last thing, I can't, I can't fathom this. Going to Pharaoh and saying, every firstborn son in this country is going to die tomorrow. Forget about the Sunday school-ness of, of the silly story of Moses, and think about what Moses speaks to Pharaoh. Your son is going to be dead tomorrow, and it's my God that's going to do it. That's, that's a really, really hard Thing to do. And here's Moses, who just killed a guy, who just ran from a guy, who just ran from trouble, and God met him in the midst of his disobedience. Now, fast forward a little bit later, here's Moses doing this really, really difficult thing, obeying God in the midst of it. It's it's powerful. Practical things for us to take from this idea. First, I'm gonna say it again, I've said it many times, but redundancy is good. Disobedience in your past does not disqualify you from being used by God. Look at Moses. He had disobedience, a really hard disobedience. Probably nobody in this room has, has done what Moses did. Yet, that the fact that he was disobedient did not disqualify him from doing this really huge, huge thing for God. Or didn't make him shrink from that. I want you to say to yourself, disobedience does not disqualify me from being used by God. That wasn't rhetorical. Let's say that. Disobedience does not disqualify me from being used by God. That's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. Some of you are going to walk out this door understanding that owning that, and walk in obedience this week. Some of you are going to walk out this door and forget that you said that and walk in disobedience this week. God wants you to go on mission. God wants you to, to be active bringing his redemption to this planet. Some of us are going to live in the lie that Satan is trying to tell you, that you, your disobedience disqualifies you. And again, the point of our obedience is not to just accomplish redemption. It's to have this beautiful, communing relationship with God. Here's something that God gave me a few months ago that I can't get past. God wants you to be in beautiful, abiding relationship with him and with other people. Satan wants you to be alone. Satan wants you to be scared. Satan wants you to be lonely. Satan wants you to hurt. Satan wants you to to feel abandoned. Satan wants you to not live your life on mission. And he will use disobedience in your past or disobedience in somebody else's past to make you live there. I'm alone. I don't have abiding relationship. I don't have love in my life. I don't have the support of a parent. I don't have the support of a spouse. I don't have the support of a friend. (laughs) Satan wants you to live there. God wants you to live in a deep, abiding relationship to lay that aside, to be used by God, to go out and live your life on mission. Understand that. Second thing, God has a mission for you no matter your past. God has a mission for you no matter your past. Moses killed a guy. Moses later was used for the most dramatic thing that God had done up to that point. God used Moses for that. The first time was a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe this will be a little bit more comfortable. Let's say this together God has a mission for me no matter my past. God has a mission for me no matter my past. Say that to yourself all the time. This week, write it down in your journal. God has a mission for me no matter my past. God has a mission for me no matter my past. Preach that to yourself over and over and over again until you start to live that mission out. The last thing, God is always calling you to a life of obedience. God is always calling you to a life of obedience. Even when you fail, he is calling you out of disobedience into obedience. Think about Moses. Tomorrow, when you disobey and sin or you fail to go on mission, and the next day, he is still calling you to obedience and to go on mission with him. Say this with me. God is calling me to a life of obedience. Say this with me. God is calling me to a life of obedience. Preach that to your heart over and over and over again. Flip over to Exodus chapter 33 and we'll get to the the next point. If you're doing the math, the first point is the longest, I promise. Uh, Exodus chapter 33, we're going to start in verse 18. The point I want to bring to us here, Moses' obedience gave him unique relationship with God. Here's the thing, Moses got to interact with God on this planet in ways that no man has ever gotten to interact with God. Moses' obedience gave him unique relationship with God. Start in verse 18 of Exodus 30. Moses said, please show me your glory. I've said that to God. Anybody else said that to God? I want to be like Moses. I want to see that. I didn't get to see it. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Think back into your life and the the most intimate you got to experience God, that moment where God was the most intimate to you. This is that times a number with a whole lot of zeros. Millions and millions of zeros. This is the, the extent of the intimacy that Moses is going to get to experience here. I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. It's too powerful. Verse 21 And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you can where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Unique interaction. Nobody else has been able to to see that. Nobody else has been able to experience that. In verse in Exodus thirty-four, Moses goes down that mountain and sees the people and they're like, his face is literally glowing. They have to put a veil over his face because his face is glowing. He gets this, this thing that I've been talking about, the purpose of obedience, the end of obedience, is a deep, abiding, communing relationship with God. Moses got to experience that on a an, on an completely pure level. Because we live in a world where there's sin in us and there's sin around us and there's sin everywhere, the earth doesn't work We don't work. People around us don't work. And there's dysfunction that happens because of that. Because of that, we don't get to engage God in a pure way because of the sin that's present here. Moses got to see the complete purity of the goodness and fullness of God. And not just this moment, all throughout Exodus, all throughout Numbers and Deuteronomy, there's instances where God and Moses are having conversations. Like audible conversations. God is calling us to obedience. And the purpose for obedience is this deep relationship. He wants to give unique relationships to us. Moses got to see the, the insight into the heart of God that no man has ever gotten to see. And it's the result of the obedience of Moses. And this, I, w- I want to stop because this is a, a very slippery slope here. A lot of what we talk about, Dave and I, as we preach, as we lead this church, is we can't do anything to earn the favor of God. We can't do anything to, to gain his acceptance of us. And, and I want to I separate these two things for a second Your obedience or your disobedience does nothing to your ultimate relationship with Christ. Your obedience or your disobedience does nothing to your ultimate relationship with Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 teaches that. Our our salvation is by grace through faith and the result of nothing that we've done so that no one can boast. Your salvation has nothing to do with your obedience or your disobedience. The purity of your relationship with Christ your, the purity of a relationship with God does, and we 're going to walk through some things in scripture where that where that happens. Our acceptance in relationship with God is not destroyed by our obedience. blessing give however relation obedience does bring blessing into our lives, and when I say it brings blessing into our lives i 'm not talking about you 're going to walk out of this door and you 're going to find under your car seats you didn't think you had or find $20 on the sidewalk or you're going to go home and there's going to be a message on your machine that said something. some great news has happened for your life. That's not blessing. God can give you a blessing by allowing you to show $20 on the sidewalk, but God can also bless you by having your son die because he brings beautiful, intimate relationship with him. You guys have heard me tell the story about Denny McLaren and his son John. John was his son who died when between his junior and senior high school. They were best friends. If Denny were here, to, you, here today, the most blessed thing that's ever happened in his life was the death of his son. Because along with that came intimacy that he'd never had with God, came mission that he'd never had with God, and the proclamation of John's death and John's life throughout the state of Missouri and even into Illinois brought people to the faith, then he would tell us that the most blessed thing in his life was the death of his son. And that doesn't make sense in 2010 Western culture where we think money, health, and happiness are the things that God blesses us with. Blessing from God is intimate relationship with him. Do you think Moses was, was grateful for, hey, here's what I... Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him that his son is going to die. And not just his son, but every son. Every oldest son is going to die. Yeah, God, yeah, that's, thanks for blessing me with that. But as he was obedient to that, he was blessed by this unique relationship with God that nobody else has gotten to have. Understand that obedience brings blessing from God. And not the kind of blessing that health and wealth gospel people would want to teach you. The blessing is beautiful, abiding, pure relationship with God. Last point. <clears throat> Number three. There are three consequ- There are consequences to our unbelief and disobedience. There are consequences to our unbelief and disobedience. I don't want you to only hear that Let's seek after God and, and obey Him and, and He's going to give us stuff. I want you to hear this fact, that there are consequences to our disobedience. Flip over to, to Numbers chapter 20 if you're following along in Scripture. It's going to be on the screen as well. See where we're walking through the life of Moses. This This event happens after the murder, after the plagues, after the... Moses seeing the glory of God after all these things. This event happens after that. Chapter 20, verse 7. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. You should bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with a staff twice. What happened here is Moses made his staff an idol. It's not God who's doing this, it's this staff that's doing this. And as this, this word assembly and congregation, that's church. the The Jewish nation as a church were gathered together. Okay, and it's going to be now this staff that's the thing that's saving us, not God. That's the message that Moses is preaching to these people. And it's not what God told him to do. Go back into verse uh, verse 8. Moses just says, God just tells Moses, tell the water to come out and it will come out. But he's reliant upon props, upon the created, upon man-made things to provide instead of God. Read verse 11. Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice with his idol. And water came out abundantly and the congregation drank in their livestock. God is going to accomplish what God is going to accomplish no matter your obedience. God wanted to, to give these people water. Their leader, Moses, was disobedient. He still gave them water. But Moses now has to suffer the consequences of his disobedience. Do you, do you see all that's happening there? The people still got to drink Moses had to suffer a consequence of his disobedience. That's what happens verse 12. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe me, because you did not trust me, because you did not obey, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, to say, God is doing this, not this staff. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. In other words, I've been telling you for years and years and years, that you're gonna lead people into the, the purity of this world. Um, you're gonna lead people into the promised land, into this image of heaven. You're gonna to get to do that. You know what? The consequence of your unbelief, the consequences of your failed leadership, the consequences of you not doing the mission I gave you, I'm gonna take that from you. God is never gonna take relationship from you. You can't do anything to destroy your justification. You have right standing with God because of the finished work of Christ. Period. That's over. However, when we disobey God, we forfeit privilege, we forfeit opportunity, we forfeit joy, we forfeit intimacy with him. Think about your relationships with with your spouse, Think about your relationship with, with deep friends and how disobedience affects the intimacy of that. I was with three different people this week telling me stories about I did something in my past and it's affected where I am now. Affected how I relate to, to, my, to my spouse. Affected how I relate to my best friend. Affected how I relate to my parents. Disobedience causes us to miss out on beautiful relationship that God intended us to live in. And again, obedience is not for obedience sake. Obedience has a purpose. And that purpose is abiding relationship mostly with God, but also with people. I want to spend the last few moments that we have together looking through some other passages where we see this happening, where, where God is, is bringing consequence to disobedience and bringing blessing to obedience. James chapter 4. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Do you see the, what's, what's there? Obedience is bringing this beautiful relationship with God. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and let your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. When I was in high school as a freshman, I got hit by a car and tore a bunch of ligaments in my ankle and I was on crutches. And um, I went to McClure. McClure at that point was, was all tile floors. And the the crutches that I had didn't have the rubber stops on the end; they were just wooden against tile floor. You can picture. And I'm a freshman, and I'm walking up. It's like, you know, it's like Christmas holidays just happened, and we're just back at school after Christmas. And I'm walking upstairs with these wooden tipped crutches with a lot of books, and I fall. And the worst thing that can happen to a freshman in high school is to fall down in front of people. It's even worse when one crutch flies up the stairs, the other crutch, like, like, a, like a ski sliding down a mountain, <laughs> catches just right and slides all the way to the bottom of the steps. So I have one crutch up here and one crutch down there and books everywhere. And friends not carrying my books, not helping me, not doing anything... And here I am laying there, like with a leg up here, and I'm in a a good deal of pain physically to say nothing of the emotional (laughs) scar that I have. And that is, for me, the definition of humiliation. I was completely humiliated. There were seniors walking around. There were guys that I wanted to be walking around and and girls who in a, a fantasy world I would talk to walking around. Uh, and he, I am thoroughly humiliated. What that means is I am at the bottom rung. I, everyone is looking at me like that guy is an idiot. Look, look at this idiot. In in high school, it's you know nobody's like oh poor guy. You know, nobody's helping. They're just laughing. That's the definition of humiliation. And here, this is what God wa- Where God wants us to be humiliated. We think of humiliated in that high school sense where we're. You know, lowest on the social rung. But humiliated is just a place of being, wow, I am at the bottom. God gives grace to the humble. Humble humiliation, same word. God gives grace to that. When we come before God saying, I have nothing to offer you, I am filled with disobedience. It's at that point that God gives us the grace that we need to obey. We have no ability to please God outside of his grace. But when we come to God humble, he offers it to us. He gives us the ability to respond to him in obedience. In other words, stop trying to obey. The language of the truth of, of James chapter 4 is this. The language of the truth being taught here is that a humiliated and correct view of self brings the grace of god a humiliated and correct view of self brings the grace of god and the grace of god brings relationship and along with it obedience how do you obey you don't try harder you humiliate yourself before god Stop trying to please God. Stop trying to modify behavior. Understand who you are and lay yourself in the mercy and grace of God. And the result of that is God is attracted to that. See James chapter 4. And deepens relationship and deepens and motivates obedience. Psalm 24, we're going to look at David. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God, the God of his salvation. Such is a generation of those who seek him, who seek the the face of God, of Jacob. Selah. That word selah. Stop. Think about what I've just spoken to you. Think about how God is talking to you here. My, My favorite communicator of the gospel is Matt Chandler. He says this, Nowhere in Scripture is man celebrated for their ability to clean themselves up. It's always God. Nowhere in Scripture is man celebrated for their ability to clean themselves up. In other words, stop trying and place yourself at the mercy of God. That's the only way to obey. And the result of that is beautiful, deep, abiding, communing relationship. Let's pray. God, teach us how to obey. Teach us to be humble. Father, I give you permission in my heart and I ask for these people that you would bring us to a place of humiliation where we Or at the pit, God. But God, I, I, I beg of you now to bring before us the banner that you brought before my heart. The point of this all is, is an unspeakable, indescribable relationship with you, God. It can't be taught. It can only be experienced, Father. Give us purity of relationship with you. Give us the grace that we need to be obedient. Because it's worth it, God. You are worth it. You are immensely valuable. God, and for relationships that are. That have been broken, relationships that have been torn by our sin or by other sin, strife, death, dysfunction. God, I pray that past disobedience would be laid there, Father. We would rise to obedience that you're calling us to, Lord, that you would restore and redeem those relationships. God, you're beautiful. And you're worthy. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. God, I want to breathe him in deep in this moment. We thank you for Jesus. That affords us the opportunity to even be obedient, God. Thank you for him. It's in his name.